0: All right, well, this is clearly a difficult season in America. There's no way around it. It is difficult, and we are bearing the weight of that difficulty. We're bearing the weight as the rest of the world is with the global pandemic, health concerns, anxieties, and as Evan said earlier, even divisions about how we're to handle the pandemic and the politics around it. That's always difficult. Then we have a wave of racial injustice perpetrated again against the black community. We are hurting and we are wounded and cities in America are literally on fire. The pandemic has taken 100,000 lives and flags are at half-staff and these racial tensions that have now boiled over are taking peace in our cities. So today I wish our first live experience would be something more upbeat, but this is not. In fact, I'm gonna ask for an extraordinary amount of insight, of thoughtfulness, of patience, of courage, as we go through this message. There are going to be things in this message that you are not going to like, I guarantee it. And we're gonna go through a, kind of a cycle of emotions as something comes your way that is foreign to you. You haven't quite heard it this way. It doesn't kind of align with your faith stream. Um, as you hear things that are uncomfortable, you're gonna go through a cycle and it goes something like this. You're gonna hear something you may not like. You're gonna feel like you're being attacked. You're gonna have that rush of chemicals. You're gonna feel like you're being attacked. Just know that you're not. You're gonna feel defensive. You're gonna to wanna to kind of fight back. You're gonna to wanna to send that text. You're gonna to wanna to send that email to fight. I wanna encourage you to pause. Just pause, let those chemicals kind of flush out of you. Pause and pray and think, be open. Because let's trust that all of our goals are the same. No matter what your political persuasion, no matter what your faith stream is, our goals are the same. We want a better world for everyone. There's not one person I know, no matter what persuasion they are, not one person I know who doesn't want a better world for everyone. But we might disagree about how. And there's some things that I might say today that are, you know, maybe my biblical convictions, some are my opinions you may not like. Just know that we all share the same goal of a better world. We just might not agree on how. And just know this, that we don't have to agree. We don't have to agree. That's one of the things I love most about Rancho Church. We're a learning community. I don't have all the answers, for sure. You know that, right? There's things I taught a decade ago I teach against now. I don't have all the answers now. There may be things a decade from now I teach against what I'm going to teach to you today, right? We all need to be humble, but we all need to learn together, watch together, and grow together. We're all on the same page. We're all on the same team. We want a better world for everyone, and our world is struggling. Our world is struggling. We need to have our hearts, our worldviews aligned with the heart and worldview of Jesus. And sometimes alignment is difficult. I'll give you a quick example. My daughter came to me, uh, my 12-year-old came to me on Monday and says, hey, Dad, I get to have my braces. The orthodontist office is open and I get to have my braces. And I thought to myself, well, that's kind of interesting. Braces are uncomfortable. I'm probably gonna start, I'm probably gonna get them in a couple weeks. They're uncomfortable, right? Alignment is uncomfortable, but she was excited. I get to go through the discomfort because I get to have teeth as perfect as my brother's, right, (laughs) and sister. And, and, and she was willing and actually eager to be uncomfortable for the sake of the goal of alignment, right? And, uh, you know, she's a beautiful girl, and uh, there she is. And she's all excited about the alignment process, right? Same thing with us today. What if we can actually get excited about our minds and our, and our motives and our worldview aligning with the heart of Christ, aligning with what we say is, is the cause of Christ? What, what if we can say, hey, bring it on, bring on the uncomfortable things that need to be said bring it on let me wrestle let me get a little mad let me maybe feel a little self-defensive but then i'm going to take it down i'm going to calm down i'm going to think i'm going to pray and i'm going to be aligned with the heart of christ we're starting a new series today called togetherness it is a study of the book of ephesians and we have been planning on this togetherness series for quite some time even before this whole racial tension and, and, and in this book of Ephesians, we see this beautiful picture of God's heart to bring all ethnicities together. That's what the entire book of Galatians is about. It's about bringing ethnicities together in Christ. And, and it's such a wonderful picture of unity in Christ. In fact, here's the summary of the book. It's in Ephesians 1:10. And I love it when the Bible's super simple. This is the plan. Here it is. You want to know the plan of God? You want to know the heart of God? Here it is. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything. Everything in heaven and on earth. And so if I were to title the book of Ephesians, it would be called Everything Together. In fact, if I were to retitle the entire Bible, and I've said this once or twice before, I would retitle the Bible Everything Together. The Bible is such a boring title. I don't know what group of people, I do know a group of people called it the Bible. But just a bunch of guys got together and said, let's call it the book, right? It's kind of boring. It's Everything Together. That is... The heart of God, that's the plan of God. Now, who is God going to use to bring everything together? It's the church. God's not going to split the sky and just magically bring everybody together, magically unite heaven and earth. God's just not going to do that on his own. He's going to do that through us. We are the agents of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, guided by the Word of God, to bring everything together in Christ. In fact, Ephesians 2 says this, You are all members of God's family. Together we are God's home. That's the church. That's us. Together we are God's home. Together we are members of God's family. God is going to bring everything together through the church. So here's the question for the morning How is the church doing in our job description? How is the church doing bringing everything together? If you were to grade the church, and let's specifically talk about the Protestant Evangelical Church. Let's specifically talk about that. That's, that's most of our faith streams come from that Protestant Evangelical movement. That's certainly my faith stream is through Rancho. I've only been at this church since I was in junior high. Uh, I may pass away in this church, you know, God willing. But, but our stream is Protestant Evangelical. God's plan is to bring the whole world together in Christ through his church. So how are we doing? How would you grade us in our job? I might say pretty terribly. I don't think we're doing our job. I think it is time for the Protestant Evangelical Church to be radically reformed again. In fact, the whole reform movement, the whole protest movement, the Protestant movement was about reformation. And the reformation wasn't just a one-time reformation from the Catholic Church. The whole concept of the reformation, the whole concept of the protest was to say in humility, yes, we need to reform the Catholic Church, which became a separate branch of Christendom, but we need to be ever-reforming according to the Word of God. We need some ever-reforming right now. What does it mean to be a Protestant? Protestantism is simply the Western Christian church reform movement that was separated from the Roman Catholic church in the 16th century, focused on salvation through grace alone in Christ alone received by faith alone. We're not one with God because we go through a church. We are united with God because of God's grace through Jesus Christ. And we receive that by faith. We're not unified with God because we go through church rituals or church sacraments. We're united to God by faith in Jesus Christ. He brings us to the Father now and forever. What does it mean to be evangelical? Evangelicalism is a proclamation. It's holding and announcing a proclamation. And that proclamation is the message of forgiving grace in Christ received by faith. So by those definitions, Protestantism and evangelicalism, I am technically a Protestant. And I am technically an evangelical. But I will tell you it's becoming increasingly different, difficult to identify as an evangelical. Because the most vocal voices in evangelicalism do not seem to be aligned with the heart of Jesus Christ. So I am struggling with evangelicalism, and I've been struggling for quite some time. Ever since I had a very difficult grace awakening alignment about 25 years ago, I have been wanting to to do what I can in my small little corner of the earth here. To, to reform the evangelical church so it's more aligned with the heart of Christ. It's like having braces for many, many decades. You, know, you just keep aligning, aligning, aligning. And with every alignment process, it's difficult. And with every alignment process, some are in and some are out. That's just kind of the way it goes. In this season right now, I don't think we have any more patience for slow alignment. I don't think we have any more patience for the slow aligning of the Protestant um, evangelical church to align with the heart of Jesus There is no time. There is no patience. Right now is the time to reform, radically reform, the Protestant evangelical church because it is missing the point of the ministry of Jesus. I will tell you exactly how. If you line up 100 people, evangelical or not, and you were to ask them, what does the evangelical church stand for? What is the evangelical church all about? These are the six answers you will get, guaranteed. Number one, the evangelical church is about church on Sunday. We love our church on Sunday. I love church on Sunday. I hope you do too, right? That's what it's all about uh, to the evangelicals. It's all about Bible study. We want our Bible study. Teach me the word. Feed me the word, right? Evangelicalism is about a message that says God's wrath will come upon you unless you receive Jesus to escape God's wrath. That's the message of evangelicalism. Evangelicalism is known worldwide for monitoring sexual morality of the world. Evangelicalism is known for obsessing on doctrinal details, a focus on doctrinal details. In fact, there's about 37,000 Protestant denominations across the world, all divided thousands of times over the minutiae of doctrinal details. We love to argue and fight and divide about doctrine. And then increasingly in America, Evangelicalism is known for Republican politics. Now, this is one of those times, right? Am I being attacked? You might have felt the rush. I'm not attacking. It's just the way it is. Evangelicalism and the Republican Party have been merging for the last 40 years. That's just the way it has been. Now, let me be crystal, crystal clear. Jesus did none of this. None of it. He didn't do any of this. So, these are the six things evangelicalism is known for, and Jesus didn't do any of it, maybe we have a problem. Maybe we need reformation. Jesus didn't meet for worship services on Sunday morning. He was, in fact, working on Sunday morning. He was working all Sunday. It was a work day. But what he was doing is gathering friends and equipping his friends to serve the world together. Jesus says in the upper room before his crucifixion, I no longer call you servants, we're friends. And then he he commissions them and equips them and empowers them by his spirit to serve the world. Jesus didn't do Bible study. He didn't parse every word of the Old Testament. But what he did do is quote the Old Testament and then encouraged us, based on those quotes, how to live a life of selfless love. Read the Sermon on the Mount. He quotes the Old Testament and says, here's how you live. Jesus wasn't calling people to escape God's wrath. He was calling people to receive the Father's love. That's a whole different deal. Whole different view of who God is. Jesus, for the first time in human history, taught God as a loving heavenly father. And you might think, well, Jesus did talk about judgment. Yes, he did, particularly to religious self-righteous leaders who were leading the world from the view of God as father to the view of God as ominous judge. Jesus wasn't focused on doctrinal details. In fact, he was a friend of sinners. that's, That's what he was. He wasn't navigating the morality of the world. He was a friend of sinners. Is that the evangelical church? Are we known for being friends of sinners? Jesus wasn't focused on a lot of doctrinal details. What he was focused on is empowering the marginalized. You follow the life and ministry of Jesus through all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, read them all. What does he do with his life? What does he do with his teaching? He is lifting up those who are broken and battered and abused and sick and mentally ill and handicapped and judged and poor. And he's lifting them up. He's bringing healing to their bodies and healing to their souls. And he's saying, live with dignity. He's empowering the marginalized. That's what he did with his entire life. Now this is kind of tongue in cheek, but Jesus was not a Republican. Jesus was not a Democrat but he was highly political. In fact, I'm already getting the emails. I don't want politics in my church. I apologize, Jesus was a highly political figure. In fact, he could rightly be called a political zealot. He wasn't a Republican, wasn't a Democrat, but his politics were about justice for all. His politics, his zealous political movement was to press against the oppression of the religious leaders, press against the oppression of the political leaders to bring justice for everyone, and he meant everyone, the rich, the poor, the Jew, the Gentile, the Samaritan who were considered dogs, everyone. He brought the grace of God, the love of God, the dignity of God to everyone, everywhere. We are in need of radical reform. This is the life and mission and ministry of Jesus. This is it. The evangelical church has to look like this. If it doesn't look like this, it's not the church of Jesus Christ. It's something else. It's it's just another man-made religion. This is the church of Jesus Christ. We have to align, not on another 30-year arc, but right now. Right now. Because I'll tell you what I heard over the last month from evangelicals. Not everybody I'm speaking in generalizations, this isn't about everybody, it's not about every church or every evangelical. But here's what I've heard from the most vocal voices over the last month. Here's what the evangelicals are complaining about. They're claiming their rights are being taken away from them because of this pandemic. They're claiming their religious freedoms are being denied. They have strong public demands to politicians to restore their rights. They're demanding that they should be able to get back to their normal lives in the middle of a global pandemic. They are claiming wearing a mask to a public event is a denial of their civil rights. They're claiming that they're increasingly oppressed because of their Christian faith. That is not true. None of it is true. Now listen, I understand we're in a pandemic. I understand everybody's stressed. I understand we're mad. I understand we have a sense of loss and a sense of grief. But my dear, dear evangelical friends, In particular, my dear, dear white evangelical friends, you are not oppressed. There's no threat of you being oppressed. We are the most privileged people on the face of the earth. And I'm gonna say this, and this one's gonna sting. It is the height of narcissism, self-obsession, self-worship, it's the height of narcissism when those who are the most privileged behave like they are the most oppressed. White evangelical Christians claiming oppression when unarmed black people are being murdered in the streets of America. White evangelicals, please do not pretend oppression. It is not a game. Oppression is real, it just doesn't come our direction. I'm gonna set an eight minute and 46 second timer. And as I do, I want us to understand that for eight minutes and 46 seconds, a knee was on the throat of Mr. George Floyd. Eight minutes and 46 seconds. For us to have any sense of what it feels like to actually be oppressed and not pretend oppression, for us to try to empathize with the plight of black America, we've got to find ways to feel what they feel. So for eight minutes and 46 seconds, we are going to try to experience what it feels like to be oppressed as best as we can. Some of you listening know what it means to be oppressed. Othman Aubrey, he walked into a house under construction. He didn't take anything. Many others walked through that house. Many of you know what it's like to have a house under construction uh, on the side of a road, and you're kind of curious. Maybe you're interested in construction, and you walk in. You take a look at the layout and the flow. You're not there to steal anything. You don't take anything. You're just taking a look. Many people do that. Happens all the time. Happened many times that day. But Ahmed Aubrey was the one who was hunted down and murdered in the streets. A prosecutor first recused himself, and then a second prosecutor found no reason to charge one of the gunmen who happened to be a former police officer. A video came out on May 5th, months later, and arrests were made two days later. Feel the weight of that. The things that were said to Ahmed Aubrey's mother were horrendously incorrect. Earlier this week, Christian Cooper, an African-American bird watcher, had a confrontation with a white woman in Central Park who, on video, told him she would call the police and falsely tell them that a black man was threatening her life. This last Monday, a store clerk called the Minneapolis police, letting them know that a man used a forged $20 bill to make a food purchase. Minutes later, George Floyd is handcuffed, pinned to the ground, and his life was literally choked out of him as he begged for his life and even called for his mother three horrific situations that america was faced with this last month each of them very different one was a vigilante type murder of an innocent black man by a white father and son another was a black man falsely accused of threatening a white woman's life another one was an unarmed black man who clearly was not resisting choked to death by a white police officer and the only reason we're talking about any of this is because all of those incidents were recorded so I'm left to ask the question, as you are as well, how many hundreds and thousands of these similar kinds of injustices happen on the streets of America and in the cities of America every day, but they go unrecorded, so they go unnoticed, without justice and no one paying attention? And I'm just going to tell you the God's honest truth about me. You know, I, I, in April, I had actually had this thought that, wow, there hasn't been a lot of racial incidents lately and racial injustices lately. And I kind of started feeling as though, wow, maybe there's some progress being made. But I was kind of in my normal world, just navigating church and school and family and rescue mission life, right? And just thinking kind of in the background about you know, some, some the racial injustices of America, and I haven't heard much lately. And I kind of started in my soul thinking, that's kind of cool. But Ahmed Arbery had already been dead for two months. I just didn't know it. The recording hadn't come out. So what I want to do in this season is to say, listen, I don't want to just express passion now. I don't just want to express passion when cities are on fire. I just don't want to express passion when I'm still kind of red in the eyes from crying over these videos that I have seen. And then over time, over the days and the weeks and the months, like normal, like usual, with every passing wave of these recorded injustices, I kind of slip back to normal life and racial injustice kind of fits in the background. I don't wanna do that anymore. I wanna be as passionate about justice now as I am now for the rest of my life. I don't want it to get cold. I don't wanna go back to normal. I wanna be able to have a passion that says, listen, I wanna continue to cry with you. I wanna continue to hurt with you, oppressed communities. I want you to lead me, right? This is time for you to lead and for me to follow. This is time to listen. It's a time to understand. It's a time to have compassion. It's a time to say, you tell us what to do and we're gonna do it. You tell us what to fund and we're gonna fund it. You tell us where to show up and we're gonna show up. It's that kind of time. It's time for us to say very boldly, and I'm telling you, I'm gonna get the emails. I already have. People are gonna leave the church. They already have this morning. But I'm gonna say three words that we have to keep saying over and over and over again. These words that cause so much political division. We've got to hold these words and say these words with every platform that we're on, that black lives matter. Black lives matter. And don't have any qualifiers. No yeah buts, no corrections. Resist them t- the temptation to go to our tribal corner and defend ourselves or defend our politics or defend the people of our skin color. Please resist the temptations to peg these three words as sort of, you know, Democrats trying to press an agenda on Republicans. Avoid all that. Avoid politicizing these words, and I know it's almost impossible, especially white evangelicals. The last time I said this, so many vicious emails came my direction, and big deal. It's a hobby of mine. So what? I get a couple of emails. I don't care. I don't it doesn't bother me. What needs to bother us is systemic, ingrained cultural racism and injustice that continue to oppress our brothers and sisters of color. And and they're asking the white community to partner. They're not asking us to usurp, they're not even asking us to lead. They're asking us to partner. And that's what I want to do and that's what we need to do. Together especially white evangelicals. The reason why black lives matter has to continue to be said is because in America, black lives do not matter as much as white lives. It's just a fact. In America, white lives do not matter as much as, black lives do not matter as much as white lives. That's just a reality. It's almost an objective, obvious reality. And, and, and if it needs any explanation, let me try my best. I have walked into countless houses under construction. I love building. I love designing houses and building houses. I'm doing one right now. I love designing and building houses as much as I love pastoring this church. It's a passion of mine. Whenever I drive by a house under construction, as long as there's not a no trespassing sign or it's not gated, I am walking into a house that's framed because I am fascinated by the whole thing and I love the architecture and the flow and the construction styles, the whole thing. Love it. If I walked into 10,000 more houses, never once would I be hunted down in the streets and murdered for it. Never once. It's not possible. Why? I'm a white American. I go to the park a lot. It's Paula Park down the road. It's got a sand volleyball court. My daughter loves playing on there. I was there the other day. I can go to that park 10,000 more times and never once would somebody come and threaten me to falsely accuse me of threatening their lives and calling the cops. Wouldn't happen. It's impossible. Why? I'm a white American. I have actually used a forged $20 bill to try to buy food. I was 20 years old, roughly give or take. I didn't do it intentionally. Yeah, you know, got some cash. That was time before you know PayPal and internet uh, payment and all that. So you know, people actually carried cash 30 years ago when dinosaurs walked the earth. I, I, I had a forged $20 bill. I didn't know it was forged, and I tried to use it to buy some snacks at a gas station. What happened, sir? This is not a real 20. Oh, I apologize, let me put the food back. That's what happened. I could use a Forge 20 10,000 times in America, never once will the cops be called and never once will I have a knee on my neck choking me out. Why? Because I'm a white American. One other thing. I was with the protesters in Temecula yesterday and a whole group of them were walking down the road and I was with them leading to a corner, and there was a lot of police officers there. A white protester surrounded by Black Lives Matter signs, a white protester approached a police officer and screamed in their ear, I used to idolize police officers, now you're the worst because I got a ticket two years ago, no joke. Here's a white person in a Black Lives Matter protest that didn't care about black lives whatsoever. How horrible is that? To that gentleman, black lives didn't matter one bit. But white man tickets mattered. That's why he was protesting. Are you kidding me? We're six minutes into the timer. Officer's knee in George, Floyd, George Floyd's neck. That's when his body went limp. That's when he stopped begging for his life. That's when he stopped crying out for his mother but the knee was still on his neck for another two minutes and 53 seconds. So for the next two minutes and 53 seconds, I want you to hear from somebody who I consider to be a coach in these matters. He's a pastor in LA. He's a community leader in LA. And I call him and, and a bunch of others during times like this to coach me and to lead me. We've had several of them come to Rancho to speak at forums and things. And, uh, and I want you to hear from Pastor Pete Watts about what he has to say. One of the heartbreaking things for me is the reason why there's such an outpouring of support and sadness and rage is because we've seen it on video. The mm-hmm. heartbreaking thing is how many thousands perhaps haven't we seen on video? Mm-hmm. What would you think might need to happen in order, in order to, to see that kind of systemic change?
1: Um, well, I think, I think when there, we have to have a, a better, um, political education, um, uh, an understanding of, of the way um, not just how politics work, um, but just a better uh, idea of what it means to be free um, and to have rights um, and who and who deserves rights. Uh, and I know we'll say you know everybody should have rights, and but if that was true, uh, then we wouldn't be you know where we are uh, today. When I think about where we are today and you know specifically with um, the protest that's happening around uh, George Floyd, Um, What I don't want people to get lost in the fact uh, is that why all of this started. Um, It didn't start with the knee to his neck. (laughs) It started because he went to the store to try and buy food with a fake $20 bill. Now, let that sit for a second to understand George Floyd went to try and buy food with a fake $20 bill, which means he wasn't a free black male at that point, which means his life was targeted for failure long before the cop put his knee in his neck, and so when we talk about uh, the political education um, um, or policies, uh, that that's the point right there. You know, you have 40 million people who, you know, to this day have filed for um, unemployment because of this current, uh, pandemic. Um, and so whoever George, uh, in my mind, whoever George was, uh, needed to borrow money from, uh, the failure that was in his neighborhood, he couldn't even borrow the money from Neil, a real $20 bill from Neil. Right. right. And And so, uh, I think looking, uh, there it's, again, it's much more in depth than what we, you know, continue to talk about, uh, on the surface on in the in the political and the policy end,
0: much more in depth, much more complex. And it almost seems overwhelming and perhaps even unfixable. But we've got to try. That's the end of the eight minutes and 46 seconds. The officer's knee finally off of George Floyd's neck and his limp body is taken away in an ambulance. Psalm 12:5 says, "The Lord declares, I have seen violence done to the helpless. I have heard the groans of the poor. now I will rise up to rescue them as they have longed for me to do. The poor, the ethnic minority, the oppressed, is longing to be free, longing to be free from oppression, longing to be free from senseless violence. And God is calling us, the church to bring this together. We've gotta lead, but instead of leading, I think the evangelical church is doing more harm in general than good. Not everybody, but more harm than good. More division than peace. That has to stop. We have to get over our self-defense mode and start defending one another together. We have to have a sustained determination that in America, there will be equal justice and equal freedom for everyone, everywhere. Together, for white people to say to our black and brown brothers and sisters, we're going to listen, we're going to learn, we're going to be led by you. Tell us where to go, we will follow, and we're going to do that together. I also had an exchange with a friend of mine who is an African-American. He's black as well as a police officer. He's also in ministry as well. And I just said, what in the world would you say to a church today? And he wrote the most heartfelt, emotional, thoughtful, brilliant email. What I probably should have done is just read that to you today and be the end of it. But here's a portion of it. He says this, when I've talked to white people about my experiences, they either minimize them or dismiss them as as, as things that happen to everyone. No matter how much I try to explain that this experience is common among black people, it doesn't feel like people really listen. I am tired of talking about it, I know black people are tired of talking about it, and I can see why people's hurt is turning into rage and anger. When I saw George Floyd's video, I deeply cried, bro. I cried because I saw the hopelessness and anguish on this man's face. I cried because I knew that coming into work, I would have to listen to groups of people minimize what happened to Floyd in the same way they did to Michael Brown, Eric Gardner, Ahmed Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, Daniel Shaver, Philando Castile, Freddie Gray, Tamir Rice, and the list goes on and on and on and on. I cried because not many people will believe that racism exists institutionally in the culture of America and personally in our hearts, no matter how much evidence or experience you can point to. I cried because I of cho- I, my chosen profession, law enforcement, which is supposed to serve and protect the community, is once again going to receive a black eye. I am blank, tired, broke. I've had a handful of conversations with people that have been outraged or extremely vocal at the looting and rioting that are taking place but don't seem to express the same level of hatred toward the murder of another black man. Please understand, I'm not condoning looting and rioting. As a person that is invested in making communities better, as a law enforcement officer, as a man that believes in redemption and wants a better place for my kids, I do not condone it. But people are at the end of their rope. We know confronting violence with violence usually creates more division and more violence. Violence is wrong against black America, and violence is wrong in response to violence against black America. We need calm, we need peace, we need peacemakers in the order of Martin Luther King, and those peacemakers need peace partners. And those peace partners can come from the police. And and many police departments and many police officers are on board here. They love their community. They serve their community. They they promote equal justice every day of their lives. They are bearing the burdens of the worst of humanity every single day to bring peace and prosperity and calm, and they're good men and women. And they know that there are a few bad people among them that are tarnishing their whole uh, department or their whole vocation, their whole calling. There are many police departments and police officers and, and police uh, men and women in high-ranking positions that are saying we need reform and we need reform right now. Not the study of reform, not an investigation of reform, but we need it right now. These police officers, as far as I'm concerned, are the most underpaid and underrespected people on the planet. Many of them are, are my friends, and to hear their stories of what burdens they bear and the things they see and experience every single day, I couldn't do it. I, am, I could not do it. God bless them. They need support. They need encouragement. They need prayer. But their vocation needs radical reform right now. Not only do the um, police officers need reform, they need to partner with the protesters, obviously in safe and peaceful ways. We had a glimmer of hope yesterday in Temecula. I love this story. Here we have Betty Williams. Betty Williams is a protester from Marietta. She came down to to Temecula, uh, to our duck pond, to protest. And she was one of the leading voices in that protest. And she was having a dialogue, a peaceful dialogue with an officer, and they ended up doing a dance together. And it's on Twitter. It's wonderful. It's just a beautiful little picture. Is it possible that while police officers are keeping us all safe and doing amazing work, right, I I think God-given work to keep our communities safe, that they partner with the protesters and say, I agree with you, we need reform, I agree with you, we've gotta get bad people out, we gotta find them and get them out. People who have been jaded and people who have have, have been broken as police officers, who have kind of leaked into this this concept of of racism and bias, and it's so easy to do, to, to help them, to work with them, right, before it gets too late. Whatever reforms are necessary, they have to happen peacemakers need peace partners in our police force and God bless our police officers men and women who do so much good and finally peacemakers need peace partners in the evangelical church we need to repent of our sin of missing the mark we need to repent of our sin of not being aligned with the heart and mission of Jesus we need to repent of our sin and be more concerned about justice for others particularly the marginalized than we are protecting our own little rights and discomforts we've got to do this And I want to be very, very clear. Please absorb the power of what I'm about to say. We follow Jesus, the Son of God, who was unjustly murdered on the streets by authorities, in large part because he was an ethnic minority in the Roman Empire. As a powerless minority, it was easy to falsely accuse Jesus of a crime. So the power of Rome murdered Jesus, an unarmed man, in the streets of Jerusalem. That's who we follow. And yet, the evangelical Protestant church tends to want the power of Rome. We claim to follow an ethnic minority unjustly accused and murdered in the streets. We claim to follow him, yet we want the power of Rome. In fact, one local pastor, and I never call out local pastors, I never use anybody's name, and I will not hear. One local pastor said this, and I'm not kidding you. You heard Jesus say, Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Who is Caesar in America? He says, It is us. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? We claim to follow Jesus Christ, yet want the power of Caesar. That's not the way it works. That is not the way it works. We have to understand the privilege that we have and hold it. And not hate it. Even be thankful for the privilege that we own. But what are we going to do with that privilege, white evangelical church? Luke 12 says, when somebody has been given much, much will be required in return. And when somebody has been entrusted with much, even more will be required for those of us who have, it is time to do something in a sustained way. If we've been given much, it's time to do much. Simple things first. Whatever platform you have, whether it's a pulpit, social media, voice with your family, your place at work, use your platform to promote justice for all. Stop the racist jokes and memes. All I have to say is, ah, no, please don't. That's it, you don't have to be a lecturer. Just no, nah, please don't. Join a Be The Bridge group. We have Be The Bridge groups here. It's all about racial reconciliation. Join one of those groups. As a church, we're gonna give more intentionally and partner more intentionally with the black church in inner cities. We're gonna be even more vocal against injustice perpetrated against ethnic minorities and people of color. We're gonna mobilize even more to pragmatically help bring systemic change to the systems that surround minorities and keep them oppressed generation after generation. We're gonna do this together. And the book of Ephesians is gonna help us out. Let me pray. God, we thank you and honor you. You're a good God, a gracious God who showed up As an ethnic minority, falsely accused, murdered in the streets, we follow Jesus. We do not follow Rome. We follow Jesus. Help us to be compassionate and kind, to learn, to grow, and to follow those who will lead. People of color who are aligned with your mission will lead us forward to bring justice for all. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being a part of Rancho United, and we look forward to seeing you next week.